Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. to week five of our journey together. If you're new, well, we started a few weeks ago on a journey to investigate and discover who we're created to be. That's what we've been looking at together. We've been doing it through devotionals, through a book that I wrote, and we have thousands, literally, of people all over our community meeting together the way the early church did in small groups and discussing this topic and helping one another and being transparent with one another as we're discovering who God wants us to be and becoming more of who he's called us to be. And so this week we're gonna continue that journey and we're gonna look at another question concerning our identity and where we find our identity and we're gonna look at that together. I wanna welcome those watching online. Wanna welcome those at our McKinney campus who are streaming live with us. And I also wanna welcome those at 12.30 who are making space. We have a great 12.30 service that's growing and I wanna welcome you, I'm thinking about you as well. Let's put our hands together and welcome all of those that are joining us as well. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to look in the Old Testament at the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll take a small little trip into one of Jesus's most famous set of words, but we're gonna camp out, look at another biblical character, and we're gonna look at a very important topic when it comes to discovering who we're created to be. I celebrate with these that are getting baptized. You know, it, when you see grown men crying, only the Holy Spirit does that right there. And so I get moved. I mean, it's hard to preach afterwards. You can hear my voice cracking, but... That's what it's all about right there. I mean, we can't clap enough. Let's just clap again for those that are getting water baptized. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes home. And we have lots this weekend and next weekend. And I wanna celebrate on Friday night, I had the opportunity to join all of these powerful students. How many of you are excited about what God's doing? Didn't really have a powerful message, but I had the hat, so thank you, Jesus. Just a pressing Aggies, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, I really, it was amazing. I can't remember the last time I started preaching at 10 till 10. So I, I haven't slept much this weekend, so if I mess up, give me some grace, all right? But uh, these guys, they don't get started till late, okay? And so we had an awesome time together. I wanna tell you, these guys are in a battle they're in a battle in our culture. It's always been a challenge to live a pure life and to live a life. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms, how can a young man or woman keep their way pure? And the only way they keep their way pure is that they have a louder voice in their head of the truth of the word of God over what culture is telling them. And so the reason we do these retreats is because we wanna remove them from the voice of the enemy. We wanna remove them from the lies of the enemy and give them a saturated moment to be in touch with the truth of the word of God and his plan for them. And so we honor you, we celebrate you, we're excited. We believe you can do it, young people. We believe you can do it. We do. So we had a powerful time. There was a whole lot of students that were saved and I'm always blessed by being with them and encouraging them. There's, there's so much potential in this generation. 
so much potential and so thank you for being a church that loves them and wants to call that potential out of them to see them reach the destiny that God has for them, okay? And so we're probably gonna have to have two next year. I apologize to all of you that signed up late because we, we literally, it filled up in three days. I think parents are saying, help me, help me in this area of my family, and so we're, we're honored to do so, and I thank you for our student team, Pastor Tyron, um, all of that team. I thank you for all the volunteers, Jesse and Luke, and all the guys and gals that serve them. I'm so thankful for them and honored. Well, this week, we're going to look at a different topic. We're gonna look at who we are when we're on this discovery when we don't feel happy. I, I began preparing these, these topics and began really God speaking to me in my own identity and thinking about the who am I question and so started writing the book a year ago and working with our communications team and really you're, you're, you know that God's speaking to you but you don't always know how much he's speaking to everyone else. And we found along the way that this is an area where God's really wanting to talk to all of us. I met a guy last weekend, well I've, I've known him, but I didn't know this about him. I met uh, Philip Kraft in the foyer in the commons area and he came up to me and said, Pastor, I gotta tell you, before knowing Jesus, I was asking this question. In fact, I asked the question so much about who I am, he said that I had it tattooed on my chest in reverse. In reverse, he tattooed on his chest who are you? So that every morning when he looked in the mirror, he was asking himself who he, who he really is. And so uh, I thought that was interesting. I didn't wanna show you the picture of his chest, though he has a powerful chest. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> it was amazing to me that he said, this is the question I asked all the time, successful and successful in business and a, a goal-oriented achiever, yet was somewhat of an agnostic and did not really put his faith and trust in Christ. His wife came to Milestone several years ago. His wife gave her life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. His whole family has given their life to Jesus Christ. And he says, Pastor, I still have who are you on my chest, but every morning I know that I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the King. I know who I am because I've not only given my life to Christ, but I've been discipled and I know who I am in Jesus. And I'm really excited about the who am I topic. I'm excited about it in my own life. I'm excited about it in your life, but I'm not getting a tattoo. <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. My kids get upset when I, they start talking about tattoos. Tattoos are kind of more cool today. And they say, Dad, would you get a tattoo? I said, yeah, I'm thinking about one. Elmer Fudd looking in my belly button saying, come out of there, you silly wabbit. <laughs> they love that, but... I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. Forgive me, I haven't slept much. <laughs> this question of happiness, how does it affect our identity? This question of who am I when I don't feel happy, and by the way, should I even be asking that question? Because most of us, the version and view of God that we have is that God doesn't really care about that. In fact, the God that we know is he's more concerned with, are you holy? Are you holy? Like happiness is for frivolous stuff. That's for silliness. That's like a cheap version of life. 
And yet he wants us to be holy, but does he really want us to be happy? Well, we're gonna look at Ecclesiastes and we're gonna look at the life of Solomon and what he wants to tell us about meaning in life, contentment in life, fulfillment in life, happiness in life, but I do wanna look very quickly just so that you are inspired to know what God thinks about it, because Jesus, in his famous sermon, the beginning of it, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, several lines, Jesus uses this phrase, blessed. It's a Greek word, "markurios" translated, and it literally means you can have a happiness. Not, not necessarily a frivolous, sort of something that's not founded or grounded or real for your life, but Jesus said over and over several statements. One of them I'd just like to look at, Jesus himself says that God blesses those who are humble. Blessed are those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. So what's God saying to us? More humility, more real happiness. More humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God and more real exaltation, not worldly exaltation. So there's a version of God's contentment, fulfillment, happiness, experience with God that runs very deep. If we're in pursuit of this happiness, in fact, as Americans, if you're not from America, the De Declaration of Independence, we actually believe that it's one of our inalienable rights life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we have this deep-seated, founded idea in our culture that we should be pursuing happiness. And after looking at lots of statistics, the Harris Poll is one that I chose. And I don't know the exact ratios, but it's not good. The Harris Poll says that only 33% of people, if they're really honest, would say, I'm really happy, a deep-seated happiness. So if it's something we're supposed to pursue, it's something we recognize when it's lacking, and it's something we really want, why are so few of us experiencing it? Why are we not experiencing it? Is there something we're missing? Is there some understanding of God that we're missing? And is there somehow that's affecting who we are that's keeping us for what God and from what God has for us? I think for a lot of reasons, we're not happy today. Why is it so hard? It can be hard because life is changing. It's changing with different seasons. We'll look in a minute, Solomon addresses those different seasons of life and talks about there's different times. But it can be elusive, it can be fleeting. Young people, it's like Snapchat. It's like happiness is here. All right, I got a good friendship. I've got a good relationship. I went to this great event. I achieved this great success and I have it, I have it, I have, boom, it's, it's gone. Where did it go? It's elusive, it's fleeting. Parents, one reason we emphasize helping your children, because I know this about a parent, it's said of parents that they're only as happy as their happiest child. There's no pain like kid pain. So why is it that we can be sensing even personally some level of happiness, but if the people we love are not experiencing it, it affects our own happiness? Does God want us to be? A lot of times we wonder that. Does God have it for us? And here's another thought. It's hard to be happy when you're hurting. 
It's hard to be happy. It's hard to really know. By the way, in and of yourself, by yourself, alone with your own ideas, when challenging circumstances come your way, if you don't understand some deeper truths about God, it's very hard on your own to be happy when you're hurting. It's very hard. But I think one of the number, re- number one reasons it's really hard for us in our culture today is we put our happiness and the focus of our happiness in the wrong place. We have the wrong strategy. You can have great passion, you can have great intention, but if you're headed in the wrong direction, you'll never arrive at the place you're trying to arrive. And so that's why we have Solomon's story in the Bible. Some have said that this book of Ecclesiastes is like the diary of a billionaire. He's got it all. So now he tells us about happiness. It's his story. Actually, it's somewhat of a cautionary tale of his story. He's quite a powerful guy. One of the, again, the wealthiest, the wisest, one of the most influential, prosperous kings in the nation of Israel, the son of David. And he was not just prosperous for himself, he made their entire culture very prosperous. So they had all the things that most people believe would make them happy, and he had it to the highest degree, Solomon. What does Solomon wanna say to us? Well, in fact, the word Ecclesiastes means preacher or teacher. So I'm just gonna let Jesus preach, and I'm gonna let Solomon preach this weekend. So let's let the preacher, Solomon, from Ecclesiastes preach to us about life. Ecclesiastes chapter one. You're like, okay, wait a minute, Jeff. He's about to preach to us on what basis? Remember, the diary of B, billionaire. If there was money, he had it, and a lot of it. People from all over the world came to sit with him to listen to his wisdom because if there was wisdom, he had it. And let me tell you, there was nothing that he denied himself. There was no pleasure that he denied himself. If it was food, he was the ultimate foodie. He had every kind of food, every exquisite food, every rare food, every great tasting food, he had it. If there was drink, then he drank it. He had all of it. He had all of those things. Parties, he threw the best. He had the greatest parties with the most influential guests. He had all of this great atmosphere around his life, servants and people taking care of him, exquisite living quarters and places to be. He had the parties, he had the food, he had the drink. Romance, oh, he had it. 700 concubines, 300 wives. It ultimately led to a lot of problems. (laughs) But he had it all. By the world's standard and by our idea, he had it all. You say, man, if I had some of those things, just even, I don't even need a billion, but a million, I'd be happy. Well, Solomon tells us from the pinnacle and the apex, it doesn't deliver. It doesn't deliver. Anything wrong with some of those things? Not necessarily, but what's wrong about it, what Solomon tells us, what's wrong about it is to put your trust and your hope and your happiness in those things. 
He says to us right here in Ecclesiastes 1-2, he says a word, this is important that you get it, he says this same word 36 times in his 12 short chapters of his diary to us. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That word meaningless is a Hebrew word, habel, and it has a deep meaning. He tells it to us over and over and over. It has this idea of a vapor, of a smoke, of something that doesn't last. He interchanges that same concept in there with chasing after the wind. He, he's like, I, I, can't, I can't get it. And the greatest picture of it is this picture and idea of a well. A well that you put the bucket down into when you have a lot of things that should be satisfying your thirst but you put the bucket in the well. When you put a bucket in a well, then you are expecting to draw something up out of that well called water, but every time he put his rope and his bucket into the well, he uses the word habel, habel, meaningless, meaningless. It's empty. What are you seeking to pull something from that can't deliver? What are you putting your hope in, your focus on? What are you looking to to deliver real happiness that's unshakable? That's what Solomon is saying to us. He's communicating to us loud and clear. Now some of you are like, man, that's a little bit discouraging, Pastor. I thought we were talking about how to be happy and I feel discouraged right now. I'm not very happy. I'm sorry, the entire book, what Solomon keeps saying to us is, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. It's a cautionary set of passages that says, don't do it like I did. And I know what you're thinking, especially if you haven't walked with God very long, especially if you haven't understood the real truth and the power of what the Bible communicates to us. You're saying, look, let me just try some of Solomon's life and I'll determine whether or not he did it right or not. Let me just try to taste that. But the further you journey with God, you realize, what he's saying is true. What he's saying is true. There is a little glimmer of hope that I don't have time to read the entire book to you, but I do wanna look at Ecclesiastes 3.10 because he starts talking about the timing of God, the seasons of God, the journey with God, and in verse 10 in, in Ecclesiastes 3, he gives us a little hope and he doesn't leave us hanging going, like what do we need to put our bucket in? How do we need to live? And so I love this little set here. It says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time and he's also set eternity in the human heart. It's hard for us to fathom that. You're like, Jeff, so if I think about my eternal life, not this temporary life, that I can have more happiness. Isn't that a crutch? Isn't that like, well, let's just escape and get out of here and get to heaven? No, no, it's an understanding of what we're supposed to focus on and live our lives for. It's a deeper understanding of how the world works. He says that the reason we many times find happiness failing us is because we don't understand that eternity is what's in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction 
in all their toil, a deeper satisfaction, and then he gives us the answer. This is a gift of God. There's a, a bigger gift that we have to receive to make meaning of the human condition. There's a larger gift, and I submit to you that our version of happiness is what keeps us lacking and keeps us wanting. In the book, I gave the thesis for the chapter, and I said this, true happiness, if you understand it according to God's pattern, it's more than an elusive feeling. It's deeper than that from a biblical concept. The God who created us understands the longing we have in the human heart, and he does not tell us, look, it's a feeling that you never really know about, it's deeper than that. That's what we are looking at in this Who Am I series, getting down deeper, discovering who we're really created to be. And the gift that we're all looking for is the gift that's found in Jesus. All those statements that Jesus was saying, These, this life is possible if you receive the gift of my life. And so I love this contrast, I want you to see it. I love this contrast, Solomon saying, don't do it like I did because look, it leaves you to a place of habel and meaningless and Jesus contrasting Solomon saying, live my life, let my life live through you in fact and I came that you might have life abundantly and you might have fullness of life. Look at this contrast. Solomon was a king who experienced every pleasure his eyes desired, yet he lived empty. He lived empty. Jesus is a king who emptied himself, yet lived full. Jesus lived a sacrificial life for you and I, emptied himself for us, and he wants to come into our lives to make our lives full. And so I'd like us in the remaining amount of time to start really unpacking more of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Let's try to make it real. Let's try to say, okay, if Jesus has that, what does that look like? Well, it starts with the understanding you will be on a consistent, empty search in your life for contentment and fulfillment until you first surrender your life to Jesus. Until you fully give yourself to him, there's nothing in life that will satisfy you like him. And then in this crazy sort of way, his life takes over. His joy takes over. His way of living takes over and you find this sense that's deeper than your circumstances, that's deeper than your successes, that's deeper than your failures and it's him living through you in a different way. Now I understand for many of you, you're like, this seems so simple and is this where real life is? And Pastor Jeff, do you just wake up every day and you know, it's just like, you're just like on a spiritual cloud. Hello, brother, nice to see you, I'm happy. Are we supposed to just be happy, just kinda trite, just kinda, hey, it's all good. Are you living the same life I'm living, Pastor Jeff? No, 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 unhappiness comes to us. And it's not wrong to feel unhappy, it's wrong to stay in that place because that's not the life Jesus intended for you. One reason I have a heart for young people, I remember as a young person, hormones and life changing. Man, I, I remember the feelings, it's like expectations and 
And, and, and I'm a generally positive person, but I can specifically remember as a young teenager and thinking about my future, and I felt like I was called by God and didn't know how it would work out and didn't know if I really wanted to do it. And, I, and it was weird. On Sunday nights, a lot of times, when I would lay my head on the pillow, I'd have this melancholic feeling come over me. And I just have to kind of fight through it. I don't know if it's because it was the weekend and I had to go back to school, but I just, I would have this, it, it just kind of come at you. And I remember that. I, I remember as a, as a young leader, I know you may not face this, but I haven't conquered it, but I'm getting better. I remember when I used to put the attendance of the weekend and the offering on the main altar of my life. I mean, if we had a great weekend at church, I was excited. If we had a bad weekend, I was unhappy. And my family experienced it. I know you've never done that with your company or your business or any other thing you're trying to achieve, especially when we planted our church in the cafetorium. It was like, man, it was like, there we were in the Indian Springs cafetorium, and it was like, somebody count the offering. Can we eat this week? There's 32 people in there, then 100 people, and then 100 and something people, then it went back to 70. Five weeks, it was down to 70. It was like, somebody go count the offering. Not enough. Uh, uh, we, we, we can't go to Sizzler, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we, we're gonna eat beans and rice and maybe we'll have rice and beans, you know? I don't know. And it's kind of like if there was a lot of people there and it didn't stop in the cafetorium. It was like if there was a lot of people there, it was, man, I'm excited, I feel good about myself. If not, I'm unhappy. Do I still have a tendency to let the measurement of my performance affect my happiness? Yes, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better to overlook a little bit of some of those things and go, man, I gotta have something more stable and less fickle to provide for my contentment. This week in our culture, we celebrated a great hero, Billy Graham. And I looked at a lot of the sayings like you did of things that he said, and it wasn't just about the things that he said, but it was the life that he lived. And if we could let the wisdom of a Billy Graham, not Solomon saying, don't do it like I did, but I, of course he wasn't perfect, and of course he made mistakes, but all of us love some heroes who actually don't just talk, but do. And so the reason our whole culture and people are lining the streets to celebrate a man is a man who didn't just preach it, but a man who lived it. And he gives us some hope. But as he got further in life, as he journeyed along, listen, I know it's hard when you're sitting there going, no, but, but wait, I'm not there yet. When I get there, when I get that, when I get the bucket to the bottom of the well, then I'll be happy. The further he went in life, the more he talked about keep your eyes on an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes. You're gonna hear that Billy Graham died. He didn't die. He's with Jesus. And he kept reminding us of those things. You're like, okay, Billy Graham, Jeff, you've got that. I understand that we have a brain and we have all kinds of ways that brain works and we have chemicals and we have hormones and we have things. I'm not trying to be trivial or trite. But what I am saying is there's some principles because God created us that can help us. So you say, what can we do to find Jesus' version of happiness? Let's look at it very quickly together. Number one, we have to acknowledge the influence that happiness has on our identity. And that's why it can be fleeting, because if we let the emotion of it affect how we see ourselves, it affects our day, and our days affect our week, and our weeks affect our years. And if we have a great success, 
or we have a great event. You could go to some great event that you're pumped about. You, you can get ready for this greatest vacation and fight all the way there because everybody's so excited. Come on. And then you get there and in the middle of the vacation, in the middle of the excitement, there's a discontentment because you're like, it's coming to an end and now we have to go back to real life. Oh my gosh, we just want to live at Disney World. We just want to live here. That's not heaven, that's hell. But anyway. <laughs> we just want to live here, but it's fleeting. So when we have, if we don't understand that our identity is something different, the emotion of happiness, it tells us when things are going good. We're great, you're awesome, you're happy. But oh man, how it'll come when it's not going well and tell us, you're worse than what you actually are. See, if you let the emotion rule your life, it tells you you're better than you are, and then it tells you you're worse than you are. It's a terrible guide. It's terrible, it's fickle. It leaves us hanging. We gotta understand that happiness according to what Solomon's telling us and what Jesus is telling us, it's more than an elusive feeling. It's something more concrete. It's based not on the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of a person. The pursuit of a person named Jesus who is constant and stable in our lives. Here's the second thing. You gotta be willing to confront your unhappiness. We all have to do it. I have to do it. We have to confront our unhappiness. Here's how unhappiness works. Here's how it comes. It comes subtle, but then it rushes in. Rushes in. This week I was doing what I do a lot. I was in my backyard on the phone. As a pastor, I live on the phone a lot. I burn batteries up. I love people and I like to talk on the phone. And I hate emails. I like to talk to people. So I call people and I deal with problems. And you guys got a lot of them. And <laughs> so I talk on the phone and my neighbors think I'm crazy because I walk around and I put it on speaker and I talk and they stick their head out. There's the weird preacher again walking around. He's on the phone. And so I was left with the responsibility of someone who had a lot of problems and my seven-year-old. So we went in the backyard and she's playing around and I'm on the phone and I'm watching her and she went over into an area and she's playing and she comes back and she had walked in my golden retriever's poop. Now I'm in trouble because I am manning the fort and my wife's gonna be upset if I let that poop in the house. She's headed for the door. I tell the person on the phone, you've had these demons for 25 years, you can keep them for 10 more minutes, bye. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Pastoral care is my greatest gift. <laughs> I stopped, I run over there, I take the shoes off, why? Because that dog poop is not just gonna get on the carpet if she walks in there. It's gonna be all over the couch. It'll be on the walls. It'll be everywhere. It just gets everywhere. So I gotta stop before it gets in there because it'll get on everything and that's what unhappiness does. It doesn't come subtle. It comes and climbs on your couch. It climbs all over your furniture. It gets all over your house and the smell and the stink. And you know what? A lot of you don't like confrontation but in this area, you gotta get confrontive. You gotta say, no, 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 no. You're not coming in here. You're not coming in here. I'm not letting you in here because if I let you in here, and it starts with thoughts, by the way. Oh, everyone else is happy. If I had that, if I were here, if I had this, if this circumstance was different, if this situation was different, 
Does God not like me? Why do they? All of it. It starts with some choices. It continues with if you let entitlement and you let other type of ideas and someone else dictate your happiness. It starts with all of that and it leads you down a path of unmet expectations, unwanted attitudes and perspectives that come into our life. But you gotta say, you know what, stop right there. Stop, stop, stop right there. We're stopping this right now. You gotta deal with it head on. Here's the third thing. You say, how do you do that practically? Well, if Solomon said, don't live this way, he was a king who did everything he desired but ended going, I did it wrong, but Jesus is a king who emptied himself. Like, how do we do that practically? How do we practically have these choices that produce Jesus' kind of happiness? I'm not saying I'm an expert, but my entire adult life, all I've done is work with people and pastor people. I'm not saying I'm an expert. I didn't get this from a book, but let me just tell you my observation. The happiest people I know make it less about them. The happiest people I know live their life to help other people be happy. You say, man, I'm messed up, pastor. Find somebody more messed up than you (laughs) and help them. Give your life away. Let me give you some ways to do that. Stop complaining and blaming our unhappiness on someone else. You got at some point, your mother-in-law, your in-law, your outlaw cannot dictate your happiness. Your boss, the person that you, that person, don't let them walk in your house with all that on their feet. They're controlling your life. And at some point you just have to go, you know what, I'm not, I, I, I pray for you, I wanna help you, But look, I can't let your unhappiness, some of you grew up in a home where there was constant unhappiness by the authority figures of your life, and as much as you say, I don't wanna be that, you let that influence you to a degree that you become what you hate. Don't let it. Someone else can't control your happiness. Look at this, make gratitude part of our daily routine. I don't know if you ever do this, but I do. I go for a jog, I go for a walk, I have all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of situations. I'm getting better. Used to one problem, I'd be like, I got it, I got it. One situation, one person unhappy with me, one circumstance, one thing that's not like it's supposed to be. I don't know if there's any perfectionists listening to this message. Any control freaks, that's it, that'll be at 11 o'clock. That'll be a different message, different group. But, but I let that dictate my happiness. You know what I try to do? Go for a jog. And while I'm running, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for that grown man that cried in that baptistry. Who cares how many came to church this weekend? Who cares about this, the problem, the buildings, the parking? Who cares? There was a grown man who got touched by Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. That'll change your soul. That'll change your soul. Man, it just starts pushing out all that retriever poop. (laughs) Just pushes it out, just pushes it out, thank you. Gratitude kills that entitlement. It kills that way of thinking. Choose to generously serve and bless others without expectation of return. Don't have any expectations on it, just begin to serve others. Surround 
ourselves with people who share these values. I understand we minister to people, we help people, but you need life-giving relationships that help reinforce that, help reinforce it. You need some people to laugh with. Quit being so tight. <laughs> laugh about some problems. Laughing helps you, it's like medicine, by the way. I laugh my way through a lot of pain. Tell a joke, I'll tell the same joke over and over. As long as you laugh at it, I'll tell it. Because it does me good, whether you're tired of hearing it or not. Put yourself around people that help you with that. I know a lot of you are like, Jeff, those seem like great principles. Jesus and Solomon. And I know what some of you are thinking, so before I pray for you, I wanna read you a little excerpt from the book because I knew that you would be thinking this. In the book, I understand when there's pain, we think happiness and those concepts, that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me because my situation is different and I, again, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but pain and circumstances and problems and how you process them have a lot to do with your ability to really walk out a deep, content, fulfilled, joy-filled, happiness-filled life. So I said here in page one, on page 147, is God trying to teach me something? Is he punishing me? If I'd made better choices, could this have been avoided? Why does it feel like so many good people suffer while wicked people get away with evil? One of the number one questions for people that don't surrender to Jesus is, what about all these problems? What about this good God you describe? Where was God when this happened? Why would he abandon me? Is it wrong for me to feel this way? And I say right here in this chapter, because I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about the pain you're in right now, and I'm preaching a message on be happy. I wish I didn't have to say this, but as a pastor, I understand that an overwhelming majority of people will wrestle with these questions at one point or another in their lives. Let's be honest. It's not one of the promises from Jesus we like to think about, but he flat out told us, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, you can count on it. This may seem negative or callous, but it's only half the statement. Jesus finished the phrase with, some of you need to hear this, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. He doesn't leave us with you're gonna have some trouble. I've overcome the world. What you need to overcome your unhappiness is a person, not a feeling. It's Jesus. I'm gonna ask if you would to bow your heads with me. And I wanna pray for all of you. I'm gonna ask if you would, unless it's an emergency, not to move around for just a moment. Ushers, greeters, anyone, just, just wait for just a second. I believe this is a significant moment for some of you, maybe even some of you watching online or watching by video. You've tried everything else. You've put your bucket in every other place. Have you gone to the well where Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me, I've got a drink for you. I'll give you rivers of living water. I'll fill you with something that you'll never thirst again. 
If you've not done that, I wanna encourage you. Maybe Jesus has been tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe he's been intersecting your life, but he wants to come in. And you can simply say, here I am, Jesus. You say, Pastor, how do you do it? He knows. It's not even about the words, but it's much about your heart. You call upon his name, Jesus. Jesus, here I am. I surrender myself to you. You just say it to him. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Now come into my life and save me. The Bible says if you prayed that and you meant it, he does come in. You may walk out of the service or walk away from your computer and think, well, did anything happen? It did. If you believed, if you received, if you said yes, he comes to live inside of you. Now what I'm asking you if you prayed that prayer is to go to a baptism class that we offer sign up on a card or come to 101. You've gotta come out of the shadows, get baptized next weekend, sign up for it. So you can start your journey so you can learn how to walk with Jesus. Learn how to live the life he's intended for you to live. But I wanna pray for a second group of people. And that is I wanna pray for some of you that unhappiness is trying to walk around in your house. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, against the spirit of heaviness, against a spirit of, of darkness and, and unhappiness and fear that comes to crowd in in our souls. And Lord, we today, we receive and drink from your well today, Jesus. We, we, we receive from your fullness. And Lord, we choose to empty ourselves as you did so that you can continue to fill us with a happiness that is stable, that is concrete, that is based on your consistent personhood and not an elusive feeling. And we receive from that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 